Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. We have a special guest today on Trending, a beautiful human being inside and out who has courageously, courageously stepped forward at 18 years old speaking the truth against gender ideology and sharing the reality that she herself experienced. She's a biological biological female. She is a former transgendered kid. She started testosterone and puberty blockers at the age of 13, had a double mastectomy at 15, and detransitioned, reclaiming her feminine identity at 16. Today joining me is Chloe Cole. We're talking about this because it's such an important topic that really is something I think everyone is trying to figure out how to navigate and what better way to discuss it than with the true voices who are experiencing this crisis in the culture today. What does the church say about gender ideology? Well, the Catholic Church teaches we are created by God, either male or female. God doesn't make mistakes. Our bodily maleness or femaleness that matches with our chromosomes impacts both our soul and our body, meaning we are male or female at the level of the soul. The two do not contradict. You can't be both at the same time. You can't change. The Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about how every man and woman should acknowledge and accept his or her sexual identity. And it's the harmony that will lead to ultimately that society depends on in part on the way in which the complementarity between men and women and their needs and the mutual support between the sexes are lived out. So how we live as men and women really leads to the harmony of society. And we're called to acknowledge and accept our sexual identity. And so with that perspective, the Catholic Church's teaching on gender, I think it's important we context this. As you hear the story of Chloe Cole, Chloe, I'm so happy you're here with us today on Trending. Thank you for speaking up. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Let's dig right into your story. I've really been looking forward to it for a long time to speaking to you. Where did it all begin? I know right around 11 years old is a benchmark, but is that where your story began with this transgender craze that is sweeping the nation? Yeah, I was um, I was only about 12 years old when I started experiencing gender dysphoria, and I no longer wanted to be a female anymore. And I for a very long time by that point. And I don't think the onset of it was really natural either. I had only learned about um, the idea that I could actually become the opposite sex from social media, which I had only been using for a few months by that point. And my first exposure to it wasn't directly through the transgender community. It was actually around the communities around shows, that I watched, video games, and cartoons that I read. And a lot of users in those communities, I noticed, for some reason, there were a lot of them who identified as gay or bisexual, um, 
transsexual, transgender, or non-binary. And sometimes these users would post about their their personal lives and how they felt about things like their family or themselves or their bodies. And I really felt like, in a lot of ways, I really related to these people. And I was specifically around the subjects of gender and sexuality. And naturally, I think it didn't help that I was at an age where naturally I started to question myself and my, my role in the world. So I started to wonder, well, maybe not straight. And that became, well, maybe I'm just not a woman because I've never really felt like I was 100% like the other girls around me. I mean, I had been quite a tomboy from a young age, and I really looked up to my, my older brothers, my older cousins, my older male cousins, and my dad. And I really didn't want to grow up into a woman. I didn't want to experience things like female puberty or or periods or childbirth or anything like that because I thought that all that being a woman had to offer was pain. Hmm. Chloe, it's interesting as you mentioned that because I think a lot of women are in your same exact boat where they look at who women are in society, the objectification uh, in terms of women are called to be perpetually hot and available. Uh, we find this transition so difficult from the childhood of you know being delighted in into the transition of maturing your body starting to change or you even just starting to perceive the difference in your body that will come in the coming months and years and that's difficult to find that moment of objectification that difference of finding that balance of saying hey i'm a tomboy but at the same time a girl i, I get it I was a tomboy growing up. I love dirt. Love I love being barefoot in the dirt to this day. Uh, there's a lot that could be said there. Uh, but there's a real challenge, I think, when you combine social media and the commentary of social media, the objectification of the culture, and then legitimate fear about the reality of the responsibility of motherhood, uh, looking at the neglect that's occurred in terms of parents and children in broken homes, uh, the fear of childbirth the fear of responsibilities and the draining side of parenthood, I think that all of those are very legitimate. And I think more women than we realize go through those same exact experiences of crisis. I think at that same age, that really does make sense, Chloe, that age range where you're coming into your body, your body's changing, your mind is looking at the world in a different way. You're looking at men a different way. You're looking at yourself a different way. You're looking even at the relationship and dynamic between your parents in a profoundly different way. It's a real challenging time. So when you're talking, Chloe, about, you know, this time of being fearful with regard to, you know, childbirth and all these things i think that's very legitimate that a lot of women go through uh, but how did you process that in the face of as you said social media influence that was very pro lgbtq and pushing this transgender identity right i mean i didn't know that this is actually a normal experience for growth i i've connected after i do transition i've 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 been outspoken about my experience. I've had a lot of women reaching out to me telling me that they felt the exact same way growing up, but many of them are much older than I, and they feel like if they grew up in the same age that I did, they absolutely would have gone down this path. But a lot of this, this, this these, um, these negative feelings that I had around being female were pe perpetuated by other women. I mean, growing up, speaking to other girls and older women, 
I always heard about the negative things that being a woman brings and not about the, the blessings that, that come with being a woman. And I had a lot of girlfriends growing up who were victims of like sexual assault or abuse. And when they would talk to me about their experiences, it made me scared that eventually something like that would happen to me. Mm. And it also didn't help that I already had some body image issues. I started puberty at a very young age. I was eight or nine, just going to my fourth grade year when I started developing visible breasts. And I, it was, there was a lot of pressure on me. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult for me to deal with. And Mm -hmm. the social media use really did not help seeing all these very idealized images of women that I just couldn't match up to. There were times when I felt like I would never, ever be a good woman in my life. And I didn't understand that I was still, I still had time to develop. And even Mm -hmm. then, most women don't look like these images and they're not supposed to. And it's fake. A lot of it's fake. A lot of these images from the fact that you can contour your face with makeup in a way that transforms the appearance of your face and your shape to the editing software, the angles, and no one can measure up to what we are seeing on social media. And that's disheartening for women who recognize that. And it's also disheartening for women who don't recognize the intervention of makeup and technology to do so. It's so challenging. I can't imagine for you what age were you when you jumped on the social media and started to experience you know, every all of this pressure online? I was 11. 11 years old. I was 11 when I first started using my first smartphone. Mm. So tell me, there's so much to discuss here in your story, Chloe. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Chloe Cole's joining me now, an incredible human being who has so beautifully shared her story over the last year or so publicly. She's 18 years old, and she began to go through this transition at about 11 years old, a social transition into uh, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and a double mastectomy eventually at 15 years old. Let's talk a little bit. I want to touch on an experience you had as well. You mentioned that you started to develop your body early. A lot of girls are today earlier than historically used to be the case. So you had even, I think, more of a challenge of being eight years old and having that experience looking different from the other girls and then being influenced by social media. But you also had a very negative experience in school with sexual assault as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That actually didn't happen until after I started transitioning medically. Interesting. Um, it might be better to get into that once I start yes. talking about how my social and medical transition started. Yes. Let's do that. So we'll come back to that side of the story. Chloe, let's talk about what happened. So you're being influenced by social media. You mentioned shows, video games, and cartoons were part of what uh, were presenting themselves via social media that you were into with this LGBTQ agenda. Just curious, were there any in particular cartoons or games that you would warn people about that have this strong LGBTQ influence? Um. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's any particular um, show or cartoon or video game series because I would say it's more the online fan bases around these in general. Interesting. Yeah. 
It's interesting, you know, we used to have back in the day, you know, you think about groupies who used to follow people such as the Beatles. And now today you have this whole online platform of groupies following uh, certain types of groups and you get into role play, you get into uh, this Comic-Con type of mindset. Would you say that was part of the influence as well? Well, that was part of it. But also a lot of these communities were, a lot of them were based around things like humor, like things like your, your personal life and um, just around like being very relatable. Mm. Let's talk about what happened when you started to come out. So social transition is always the first step for you. You were 11 years old. How did you handle this? Did you approach your parents first? Were you identifying differently in school and your parents didn't know what happened? So I was 12 when I started to, uh, to come out to everybody and that was just before my 13th birthday i mean before i came out to my parents i told a few people at school about it and they actually responded pretty negatively they were very strongly against it which i feel further pushed me into it because i really wanted to prove these people wrong that i actually was happy the way that i was presenting myself and that one day i actually would become a boy and then I came out to one of my older sisters and she, she supported me and so did my parents. But they didn't really want to push me one way or the other. They wanted to, to accommodate me, but they weren't really sure what exactly to do about it. And so they decided that they should send me to a therapist mm-hmm. so that they can get a professional involved and so they can learn about, about this, about this condition that I had they wanted to they I think their expectation was that they were going to to figure out that there was some other underlying issue that was causing these feelings but mm-hmm. that never happened mm-hmm. and there's a legitimacy in your on your parents side they didn't know what to do I don't know let's get help so they turned to a therapist any particular group of place that they turned to a therapy for and how did that go um so we went within our healthcare provider, which is Kaiser Permanente. Right. And you and filed a lawsuit against them, which we'll touch on later. I would love to discuss that. Yes, I did. So um, what happens when you get to Kaiser thought, and you start seeing the therapist? Yeah. So at first I was just going to a general pediatric therapist. And this first one was pretty, I only had him for about a month. And he was pretty lousy. Like I had, I had some things going on at home and at school that he just wasn't addressing. He just wasn't helping me with. And I got really frustrated with him, but even he immediately took the approach of just being affirmative in my identity. And your identity is male or female? Identified as a boy. I wouldn't even want to use the word. I wouldn't even want to use the phrase trans boy. I just wanted to be known as, Right. A male. I wanted to be like any other male my age. Mm-hmm. So he was immediately affirmative, knowing that you were a biological female, but immediately started affirming this biological male identity. At that same time, I know you shared in your story that you were experiencing a significant amount of loneliness and even isolation. Uh, was that addressed at all? And can you share a little bit about where you were at on that side of things? No, not really. I mean, I was at... I wouldn't say it was a new school because I had been there for maybe about like two years by that point, but I really struggled with making friends there and I was being bullied both by teachers and, and students. Um, but 
I wouldn't really say that I was really mature enough to recognize that it was also the teachers who were bullying me or just how badly it was affecting me because I just thought that I could handle it, that I was just my own self and that nobody understood me and that was okay. But it actually hurt a lot more than I realized. And I felt Mm -hmm. like I was really isolated from the other kids my age. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't addressed by parents. That wasn't addressed at the time by therapist or even school, was it? I mean, my parents wanted the best for me, but they didn't know how to help me. Mm-hmm. But my my therapist and my school just didn't really care for us. And this has been a problem throughout my life, even outside of this issue. I they, my parents have been trying to get help for me, both from the school and with uh, with my healthcare provider, for multiple reasons. Um, I was diagnosed with a learning disability um, at a young age, and their expectation was that the the school would accommodate me, but they wouldn't even correctly follow the IEP that was in place for me. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of issues that were compounded and just not being addressed, mm-hmm. either by the therapist or by by my psychiatrist or by by any of the institutions that my parents trusted would help with their child. Mm-hmm. Because they were over their heads, right? Right. Right. Okay, so you see the therapist. The therapist, at this time, you are identifying as a boy. No conversation about uh, calling yourself a trans boy or anything like that. You are identifying as a boy. You're seeing the therapist. He's saying, yes, you're a boy. You end up going through uh, the next level of transition, which is hormonal transition, so-called a therapeutic uh, transition. Can you talk to us about what the steps were and the impact on your body during that time? Right. So I was referred to a gender specialist after a while and diagnosed with gender dysphoria and that so-called gender specialist. Um, I told her that I wanted to seek hormones. And I also told this to my parents as well. And I started, I started really stressing that I wanted to undergo physical treatment. And my parents were becoming increasingly, um, they were concerned because of this. Mm-hmm. They didn't know why I was pushing so hard for this. They didn't understand what was making me think that this is the only option. So when they went to my gender specialist and other doctors, they expressed their concerns and they asked questions like, well, what if she regrets this? How common is it to regret these procedures? Like, why is she pushing for this? Mm-hmm. And my, my doctors just told them, well, the reason why she's pushing for this is because she knows exactly what they want. I mean, I think it's very obvious that Children already know what gender they are. It's not normal for kids to to push for gender transition. And I mean, my parents had four kids before me, and they never really had a kid like me, either having to do with my gender issues or my other psychiatric issues. So they, I guess, it just kind of clicked in their head that maybe maybe that is true. Maybe that maybe this is why I'm different from their other children. And they, the doctors even told them, like, well, it's unlikely that she'll regret these procedures. I mean, the, the regret rates are really less than 1%. If you force your daughter to go through puberty, then it's very likely that she's going to kill herself. Mm-hmm. So the choices are you're either going to have a dead cisgender daughter or a live transgender son. Mm. 
Wow. They manipulated my parents, and so allowed me to transition. And there is no scientific data that backs up the fact that people commit suicide if you do not help them transition. And there's also Absolutely. limited data in the United States with regard to the aftermath of transition, because many people like yourself who have gone through the transition now, this isn't your case. You're fighting back against Kaiser Permanente, but many people don't go back. They don't want to be reminded of the medical transition. They walk away and there's no follow-up, so they don't know the statistics. Um, and right. I think that's... There's, go ahead. There's trauma there, but mm-hmm. I I tried. I tried to go back to my doctors after I stopped transitioning, and I got absolutely no help with anything. Wow, how old were you when you went back to your doctors for help? I was 16 to 17 years old. Wow. And there was no help there. Um, who was helpful no. for you during that transition out? Um, so the people who helped me to transition were, I had multiple gender specialists. The one who referred me to the endocrinologist and diagnosed me with, uh, with gender dysphoria. And then the second one was the one who referred me to surgery. And then I had an endocrinologist who put me on hormones and my surgeon. Mm-hmm. So you went through with a double mastectomy. Can you speak a little bit to that process? For those who aren't aware, the difference is what we hear about today is bottom surgery and top surgery. So a double mastectomy would be considered part of that top surgery. What made you decide that you needed this? What led up to it? And how did it go? Right. So... Two years before that um, was when I was put on first puberty blockers um, for about a month alone. And then I was on them for about a year. I had, I had four shots in total, which lasted about four, three to four months. And then I was put on the testosterone. Um, and this was only about half a year after I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So there really wasn't any waiting period. And that was when I was about halfway through eighth grade. Um, And then after my sophomore year of high school was when I underwent the double mastectomy. How did that impact your body? And can you also speak, I think you were already wearing a binder for some time, a chest binder as well, correct? Yeah, um, I'd been binding for, uh, I started binding about, Two, I'd say two months after I started on the hormones, which is kind of unusual in my case because most people start binding as part of their social transition and not after they start um, start hormones. But I was maybe about, I, did, I thought that I had a fairly small chest and that nobody would really notice because I was wearing boy shirts now and they're a little baggier. But I, part of what, I would say the thing that started, that made me start binding was an incident where I had been sexually assaulted by a classmate. I was, I was groped by him and it made me as a woman feel really threatened. I thought that, I mean, I was already trying to pass myself off as a boy and this person attacked one of the few parts of me that was left that was visibly female. And I thought, like, I don't want this to ever happen to me again. I'm going to hide whatever is left of that. And I'm not going to let anybody touch me like that ever again. Hmm. And so binding, I didn't realize at the time, but it was a way for me to defend myself. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I also didn't realize how, just how traumatizing that incident was for me. But, um, because, because I, I brushed it off in my head as well. It's just boys being boys. And mm-hmm. I've already tried, I'm trying to be a boy. So I just have to be, I just have to man up and I can't do anything about it. I can't, I can't, I can't make a fuss. I can't tell anybody. And even if I wanted to, I, the kid would pro, the kid would probably get, get off with it. And if, if I told the school about it, he would probably get off totally scot free because mm. there was no evidence of it happening. He didn't bruise me or anything. And even if he got a penalty for it, it would likely be like a several day suspension and he could come back to the school and do something worse to me. And I didn't want, I just didn't want to, you were afraid. I didn't want to fight that out. Yeah. You were afraid. I'm so sorry that you had that experience and that you felt you didn't think that adults at the school would be able to protect you from him and do justice to the situation. Uh, and that you had to fight for yourself, thinking you had to go through a double mastectomy in order to protect yourself. I mean, this is the wound of a sexual assault, and I'm so sorry that you experienced that. I want to continue this conversation, Chloe. I know this is a tough area to pause for a moment here, but I want to come back to you and discuss what happened after you went through top surgery, going through the double mastectomy, the physical fallout. We'll talk about your lawsuit against Kaiser Permanente Hospital that ushered you into this transgender identity from therapists all the way to the endocrinologists and surgeons. So much to be said about your story, but also the good side of your transition. You no longer identify as a boy and you've reclaimed your biological reality and your feminine identity. Praise God. We'll be right back. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back. Joining me today on Trending is Chloe Cole, a courageous voice. She is speaking up against the transgender ideology that is sweeping this nation, especially impacting young girls and women. She's 18 years old, a biological female. She's a former, as the culture calls it, trans kid. She started testosterone and puberty blockers at 13, went through a double mastectomy at 15, also known as top surgery, quote-unquote therapeutic surgery in the transgender world. And she is sharing the truth of what has happened to her. An incredible, incredible story as she you know, has embraced at 16 and coming at back to her biological female reality and is rediscovering her femininity. Uh, Chloe, you were talking about the transition you went through, that you chose to go through with a double mastectomy, also known as top surgery, uh, when you were about 15 years old. And it was really a result of the last feminine mark on your body was your chest and that you were assaulted as you were going through this transition. And you thought if you could get rid of that, that would kind of help with that, that transition you had been going through. How... Did that double mastectomy go? What was the aftermath of the surgery for you? Right. Um, other than the uh, the unresolved trauma of the assault, mm, right. The other reasons that I wanted to go through with the surgery were because I had been transitioning for a while, and I had been using a compression device called a binder to hide the appearance of my breasts. And it was very uncomfortable to wear every day for upwards of eight hours. Every time I went to school, every time I went out, and 
I wouldn't be done with it. And I want to look like just about any other boy my age because in every every other way, I did. I looked like the other boys my age, other than the fact that I was a few inches shorter. But I actually had a deeper voice than most of them. And I felt like every day after school when I would take off this thing, I felt like a fraud Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I still had breath. And I just wanted to be able to change in the locker room or swim shirtless or work out without a shirt and not have to worry about my breasts. And so um, after my sophomore year ended was when I went under the knife and my breasts were removed. And it was a rough recovery. Um, But at first I was happy. I was satisfied and I was looking forward to finally being able to um, to swim or work out or just hang out without a shirt as as I wanted to for, for a very long time, which never happened because unfortunately I'm still going through the healing process to this day and it's been about three years. But at first I um, I it was it was a major surgery in my upper body, so mm-hmm. I didn't really have much of a in the way of you my range of motion, and I couldn't even lift up my yeah. my arms until about two or three months afterward. So I had to have my mom stay home and take care of me for a while, and then after a while, I was missing out on social opportunities, and then I started having to 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 deal with the the scars and the skin grafts and take care of them. And it was, it was very stressful just to look at this cut up area of my body, what was left of my breast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after a while, you know, I never really had any negative feelings about transitioning up until this point. until after I had surgery and I was starting to realize like being a male wasn't all that, I, I hoped it was. It was a lot lonelier than than being female. And my dating pool was being seriously affected by by this. And I was even starting to miss things like having long hair and wearing makeup. And even if I wanted to go back, I felt trapped because now I no longer look like a woman. I no, I no longer had my breasts or a feminine body. And my face and voice were very masculine. And even as I started to wear makeup from the drugstore and uh, from my old clothing, it was all in the comfort of my bedroom. And I would, not, I would let nobody see this because I was so ashamed of myself. But the, I just, I kept going into a downward spiral until eventually my senior year, I took a class in psychology and I learned about things like a, uh, like childhood development and psychology and how how being a parent, how parenting affects a child's mind and development. And just learning about the intricacies that go into parenting a child made me realize like one day I wouldn't be a mother and I want these treatments that might affect my ability to have children down the line when I'm an adult. And I'm 
I no longer have breasts. So I'm never going to be able to breastfeed my kids. I'll never be able to understand how it feels to bond with my children that way, to feed them using what God gave me. And this was so devastating. And this realization was ultimately what took me out of transitioning. And I was 16 years old. It was only, it was only 11 months after I'd had the surgery. Hmm. Wow. So 11 months after the double mastectomy, you're taking a psychology class. You're learning about childhood development and the bonds, especially of mothers with their children biologically, what happens and how nursing is so good for the child. And you want children. Uh, you Had you received any warning during any of this process about the fact that you wouldn't be able to nurse a baby or might not be able to have children because of the hormone intervention? I did, but that was when I was 13 and then 15 years old. I wasn't yet thinking about those things because You're a little I, girl. I was a kid. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about having kids. How was I supposed to know? What a transformation to see the reality of science and biology. If only it were truly taught and told to girls. I mean, you were lucky. I know you made a transition with your education program because you were struggling in school and you end up in a new program that offers this childhood psychology and developmental class and your life was changed. That that was truly a miracle. Uh, let's talk a little bit. So this was the catalyst for your transition. So from here, you were had been hiding kind of that you were wearing makeup and dressing uh, feminine and wearing girls' clothes and private. What was that catalyst or was that the catalyst, the psychology class where you finally said, that's it, I'm telling everyone I'm detransitioning? Yeah, it was it was very soon after that that I took my first, my last testosterone shot and I decided I would start growing out my hair and buying women's clothing and then eventually I would tell my, my mom and dad and family and friends that I wasn't doing this to myself anymore, which was very difficult. I had a lot of shame around that because right. not only because it was going to be a hard physical and visual adjustment, mm-hmm. but they were as involved in this as I was. I mean, these people were for big my identity and they saw me as a boy, as their son, their brother, their friend who was just like any other boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a different. I knew it was going to affect all my relationships, especially with with men, and it was going mm-hmm. to be different and a lot more difficult from now on. I want to continue. But your I just story. couldn't live like that anymore. Yeah. Now, you are suing Kaiser Permanente. I know your family, uh, how did your family handle that transition back? And then I want to talk about Kaiser and the lawsuit as well. Um, I mean, nobody really pushed back against it, of course. But my parents were devastated because they were the ones who had to sign off on this. And they just felt so much guilt. They felt like this was, this was all their fault and that they were that they were duped, that they were manipulated by the doctors. They absolutely were. Hmm. And one of my brothers, um, for a long time, he had actually been trying to push back against this, and he felt he felt powerless. He just wanted to help me, and he he knew that this would turn out badly. And I, for the for the longest time, I just saw him as somebody who was ignorant, and I just brushed him off, and it really put a strain on our relationship. But as time has gone on, I've become really thankful that he he did his best to try to protect me 
even if it it didn't work out. But my relationship over the course of my transition was really, really strained with my family. And as time has gone on and my relationship with them and even myself has gotten better, it's it's really it's really helped. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't as easy with my friends. Um, the trans community pretty much completely dropped me off as soon as I said, I regret this. This is, this has harmed me and my body. And I, I can't live like this anymore. I can't live with the pain. And these people, I knew that going off the hormones was going to be difficult and that was going to affect my health. But I had, I had no idea that these own people in the community that I was once a part of were going to treat me the way that they did. They, some people went out of their way to harass me in my messages and my posts, telling me that I didn't deserve to have a loving family who affirmed me in my identity, that I didn't deserve to have these treatments available to me, that I stole resources from the trans community, and now I need to be silent about my experience because I was going to harm other people just by talking about it. But I... Um, there was even one person who um, told me, well, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew at the age that you started transitioning that I wanted to as well. And this is all your fault. You were 13 years old, not three. You weren't a toddler. You, you knew exactly what you what you're doing to yourself. And you need to own up. you need to own up to your own actions and shut up about it. Wow. And for a while I did. But I, I knew like there had to be other kids like me out there and mm. I couldn't stay solid about it. And you've spoken up, you've spoken out very boldly and you're in the midst of a lawsuit against Kaiser Permanente as well. I want to talk about why you were suing Kaiser Permanente. If you've not been with us, you shouldn't know why, but we're going to walk through that. And I want to talk a little bit about reclaiming your feminine identity. We'll be right back here on Trending with Timory with Chloe Cole, a beautiful young woman, 18 years old, who has boldly stood up against the transgender ideology. She had a double mastectomy. She took testosterone blocks and puberty blockers, and she has reclaimed her feminine identity and is telling the truth, the damage being done to young girls and boys, especially young girls. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Cole is here with me. She's 18 years old, a young woman, former transgender kid. She started testosterone and puberty blockers at the age of 13, had a double mastectomy, and she's sharing her story. She has detransitioned, is reclaiming her feminine identity, and is speaking out against a transgender movement that absolutely lies and has no medical data and research behind what they are doing to young children. So many things I want to discuss with you, Chloe. I am so proud of your voice. Uh, It's not easy sharing a wound, many wounds that you've experienced, and I appreciate it. And I want to ask you, you've experienced a significant medical fallout that in part has led to you suing Kaiser Permanente. Can you tell us a little bit about the negative medical impact of the cross-sex hormones and the double mastectomy and why that's led you to sue Kaiser Permanente? Right. So from every single one of the treatments I was on during the course of my transition, 
I've experienced several side effects um, from the blockers, from the purity blockers, firstly. I was, while I was on them, because I was already a few years into puberty, um, by, by blocking that, by blocking the production of the sex hormones in my body, they were basically putting me into a state of chemically induced menopause. And so I experienced menopausal symptoms wow. like hot flashes and full body itching. And oh. I was very lethargic. And it was really difficult for me as a 13-year-old girl to experience what usually starts happening in, to women in their 50s and 60s. And from the testosterone, um, after about a year on it, I was starting to experience symptoms of vaginal atrophy, which I, they put me on another medication, which was a topical estrogen to treat mm -hmm. that. And it was mostly resolved, but uh, though I was told by my endocrinologist that I might eventually experience vaginal atrophy, I wasn't informed that it may actually spread to the rest of the organs in my reproductive system and even in the general pelvic organ, pel wow. pelvic uh, region. And um, because of that atrophy, it actually spread to my urinary tract and I started getting UTIs rather frequently. And sometimes I would even get blood clots and bits of tissue in my urine. Hmm. Um, and the testosterone also going going on it has caused some changes in my anatomy and by going off of it it's actually caused me to experience a form of sexual dysfunction when I'm only eighteen. I'm just barely into my adulthood. And they've I've had some permanent changes in my physical appearance, like to my bone structure, for example, my nose, my jawbone, my um, my clavicles my shoulders are larger than the average woman, but also because I didn't go through a usual female puberty. My hips are fairly underdeveloped, and I don't know if I would be able to safely naturally birth. Mm -hmm. And because my, for that same reason, I, my, my, my reproductive system might be underdeveloped as well, and I don't know if I'll be able to safely, if, I'll be, if I'm fertile, if mm -hmm. I'll be able to safely carry the child to term or mm -hmm. what birth defects might happen if I try to have a child naturally. And um, Kaiser Permanente was involved in all of this from the therapy yes, and to I've also, the endocrinologist. Go on. Yes. And I also am experiencing some of the worst side effects actually from my double mastectomy. The scars themselves are fine, but the skin graft they took from the areolas. At first, they were they seemed to be healing all right, other than the fact that they were somewhat dry on top. But as of last year, they've started to leak fluid, and I have to wear bandages on my chest every day oh. to keep this fluid from getting on my bed or my clothing, and I have to wear it at all times. And I've tried to go back to my, my surgeon to ask why this is happening and what I can do about it to stop it, and all I could get with him was roughly a five-minute Zoom call where the whole time he was being very rude, very dismissive about my concerns. And his advice was just to put Vaseline on my grass under the bandages. And it gave me a skin infection. And I've, I've tried to go back to my other doctors who have, who have put me on the other treatments as well.
Um, my endocrinologist did not help me at all, not give me any guidelines for going off of hormones. And she, when I first started detransitioning, I requested that she, that I, t- that I take some blood tests and that she sent me back my results, uh, with guidelines, hormonal guidelines for a girl my age so that I could compare where I'm at compared to other girls my age. And she actually refused to do that. She sent back the guidelines, the guidelines for a teenage boy. So I had no idea where I was at and I had to figure out how to go off of hormones completely by myself. Mm. Um, and even my gender specialist, when I talked to her, to her about how I regretted my transition and the pain of it all, she just, all she could tell me was, well, maybe it's just, I think it's just a part of your gender journey. This failure in your treatment is just a part of the journey. Wow. As if you, you know, you're just going to suffer and you should just stay there. Was there anyone? So this is what Kaiser said to you. This is what Kaiser did. Yes. Yeah. And so you're in the middle of a lawsuit. How is the lawsuit going? Yeah. So how my lawsuit came about is actually quite interesting. I, early in my detransition, I told my parents that I really wanted to sue my providers because what they did to me was horrible and they can't get away with it. They have to be mm-hmm. held accountable for what they did to me when I was just a kid. But my parents, as much as they wanted to, they felt like they, they couldn't, that they had no chance because they were the ones who signed off on it. But only a few months into me speaking out was when Harvey Dillon from Center for American Liberty reached out to me asking me, if I was interested in a lawsuit against my, against Kaiser, which by the way, is both my healthcare provider and my insurance provider. So I haven't been able to go outside of, of Kaiser to get care mm. from other doctors right. because they won't right. cover it. Everything's internal. And yet they, they've been very neglectful in their care for me. And I decided that I wanted to sue Kaiser on the basis of medical malpractice and fraud. And we filed earlier this year, a few months ago, and the parties that I'm suing are my doctors who got me into the situation in the first place, which is my my surgeon, my gender specialist who referred me to the surgeon, my my endocrinologist who put me on hormones and blockers, and the hospital where I underwent surgery, as well as Kaiser Permanente as a whole. Mm-hmm. And therapists as well, right? Endocrinologists, therapists, are they all on the line? Um, not my therapist. I've been, I've had multiple therapists throughout <laughs> the course of my transition. Mm-hmm. All at Kaiser as well, though. They, they are culpable yes. for the damage they have done to your body, to your mind, your heart, your soul. And I, I, we will be praying for continued healing for you as this is a process. And you're, you've been through so much at the hands of a pro LGBTQ agenda that is truly doing science experiments, bodily mutilation on young women such as yourself and praise God that you are going through this transition and through this healing and that you're so willing to speak up and Chloe so eloquently, beautifully, you share your story. I, I admire you. I There's so much I want to say and discuss. We'll have to have a part two to this conversation, but I would like to hear from you. I see so many of your photos. You're dressing so eloquently and femininely uh, in this transition why is that? Why have you embraced your femininity so quickly coming out of this? 
Um, I mean, really, I think all along, despite being a tomboy and having a lot of more masculine behavioral tendencies, deep down, I'm I'm pretty girly and I like I've always liked cute things and playing with my hair and experimenting with the way that I dress and present myself. And I had a lot of shame around that for, for the longest. I thought that by indulging in that, that I would just be seen as stupid, stupid, and that it was just a trivial thing to do. And I wanted to be better than that. And I had an idea of myself in my head that was, but it just wasn't who I was. Mm. And isn't that sad? You were desiring virtuous beauty, that all of these cosmetic elements that are so good and wonderful, you wanted to do it virtuously. You didn't want it to be frivolous. You didn't want to be objectified. Of course, you wanted to be loved and admired. Uh, yeah, our culture only says you can be beautiful as an object, not that you are beautiful body and soul inside and out and that virtuously that femininity can be oozed out to the world around you it's incredible to see this coming about um briefly if you were to say one thing in the brief moments we have left what would you say to a youth considering transitioning at this moment now is not the right time to make a decision on this because there are a lot of things that children and even a lot of young adults don't know about the world. It takes a lot of experience and knowledge about the world to be able to make a decision around this. And this is something that is going to affect things like your, your dating pool, how you experience sexuality and attraction and all of your relationships and every single facet of your life, your physical health, your mental health, your sexual health. And that's nothing that most people under the age of 18, even most 18-year-olds and people under the age mm -hmm. of 25 will be able to take on. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot of a lot of waiting and a lot of going through personal experiences and and um, and rumination on this, mm -hmm. but. Oh, Chloe, thank you so much for sharing your story. Tens of thousands of people are praying for you right now, for your courage, for your work, for your healing. Thank you. This is only part one because we're going to have to continue this conversation. You spoke so eloquently and there's much to be learned from you and your experience and transition. Thank you. You can follow her on social media. We've tagged her. Up next, the Family Rosary. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Join me for our weekly marriage hour on Thursday. It's easy for women to become bitter and resentful or even bored in motherhood when we become overwhelmed or even turn in on ourselves. We're going to discuss how to find and choose joy in motherhood. Also, do you have a question related to dating, marriage, relationships, family life? We'll take it on Trending with a Catholic perspective. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.